Welcome to Joe Bates Explains It All. Tragically, this is the final guide in the series today. Throughout this run, I've received a huge amount of both positive and negative feedback, but the most common thing people have assumed is that to be such an expert on these subjects, I must have studied them for many years. It started after my guides to modern love, when someone came up to me in Tesco and said that I must have a degree in love. To begin with, I thought this was just a strange chat-up line and responded with, yeah, first class honours babe, what's your name? But after a few minutes, I cleared up what they meant, that the guide I made was so authoritative that I must have a formal qualification to have created it. This continued with my end of the world episode, when people asked if I'd studied apocalypsology, and with my guide on ageing in episode 4, when people said I must have spent years studying old people. But in truth, neither of those options were available to me, so I ended up studying politics. But the feedback got me thinking. If I can make such good guides without having studied or being particularly interested in the topics I've done so far, imagine how good a guide I can make to a subject I literally have a certificate in that says I know all about it. So with that in mind, this is my guide to politics, and it couldn't have come at a better time. The huge political changes that have happened in the last 12 months have confused and terrified many people, but because of my studies, they didn't faze me at all. I knew ages ago that things like Brexit and Trump were going to happen, but I didn't want to spoil the surprise for people. When they eventually did happen, I just pretended to be profoundly shaken and upset to fit in with my liberal elite friends who would have badly beaten me up if I didn't. Whilst this guide has came too late to stop the world becoming terrible, I will be able to at least tell you why it's become so rubbish and what we can do to try and change things and to prepare for the future political landscape. This will include some self-defence tips and tricks, the best places to acquire weapons for the many local and international wars that will happen in the next few years, and increasing the number of people who share your political outlook by rapid procreation. I must add a disclaimer to say that despite me having a large amount of right-wing fans, as shown by the fawning article Rod Little wrote about me in this week's Spectator, this guide is designed for left-wing people. Right-wing people have had a lot of treats in the last year, particularly having their plans for the future destruction of both the UK and the US approved by the voting public, so left-wing people deserve a little treat too. And that treat is this guide, which after this short musical interlude, will begin with some reasons why we're in this terrible situation. Part 1. Why we are where we are. You only had to watch this week's episode of Question Time in Torquay to know just how far to the right Britain has swung. Crowd broke out into regular applause for opinions that two years ago might have landed you in jail, and Anne Widdicombe, traditionally regarded as unstable, had a performance that could have easily been mistaken for Drake at Radio 1's Big Weekend whipping the crowd up into euphoria by comparing leaving the EU to abolishing slavery and leading them in a call and response of when I say close the you say borders whilst the palpably evil UKIP deputy leader Peter Whittle did grotesque out of time beatboxing behind her. We're certainly in very strange waters and there are three reasons why. Reason 1. 
Traditional allegiances and labels have got worn away. I was pleasantly surprised recently when I found out that, despite never having had a well-paid job or influence over anyone at all, I'd nevertheless managed to rise to the position of an elite in society. I got carried away, ringing around all my family to tell them, and printing off massive business cards which made my membership very clear. The thrill of knowing I had power over the non-elites of this world, such as Boris Johnson and Donald Trump, was such a huge rush that me and my fellow elites got giddy took our eye off the ball, and in a horrible overthrow of the established system, the non-elites somehow managed to get themselves into the highest positions of government office. The world has gone so topsy-turvy now that the exact type of people who've always held political power are somehow in charge. And they can pursue their radical agenda of tax cuts for the rich and attacks on the traditional cosseted establishment groups such as foreigners and women. As a further example of how things have shifted, the very posh ex-banker and current tosser Nigel Farage might not traditionally have been accepted by people from somewhere like Middlesbrough where I'm from. However people there absolutely love him. When I was at home at Christmas recently, a question my family kept on asking me was why can't you be more like Farage? Working class people once shared aims of the redistribution of wealth and a fairer society, but this doesn't resonate so much anymore. And now many poor people blame other poor people, whether that be immigrants or so-called benefit scroungers, for absolutely everything. From single women deliberately getting pregnant to take a council flat solely because they don't want to go into a homeless ex-serviceman, and old people dying whilst waiting for a hospital bed, which is currently occupied by a Romanian who came in with a sore throat, but is now refusing to leave until the NHS pays for extensive cosmetic surgery and implants which they will then use to get a job as an underwear model which should have went to an English person. Because of all this, class-based attachments to political parties has weakened, and just like in World War II, now the lowliest pauper and the highest lord can find some common ground in a fight against foreigners. How did the narrative shift so much? Well, people felt disaffected by modern politics and society, and after years of bankers destroying the economy, politicians cutting their public services and claiming illegal expenses, and journalists hacking the phones of completely innocent people, someone needed to face a furious backlash. And it turned out to be people completely unconnected with any of the things that went wrong. Because the blame for everything bad has been shifted, People end up voting for parties and people that have a good chance of making their own lives worse, either by cutting the public services that they rely on, or making them a more likely target of terrorism by annoying every single other country and person in the world. So traditional alliances and loyalties have worn away and meant that voters make choices that are much more unexpected and much less sane. And this is all helped by the miracle of modern technology which has largely speeded up the flow of information and allowed people to have unprecedented access to complete rubbish. Reason 2. Social media. The power of social media to influence politics seemed so positive at one point. 
The Arab Spring was prompted and enhanced by social media coverage and connections, leading to huge uprisings against brutal dictators. And as far as I can remember, that all worked out great. Then there were the various grassroots political campaigns, which were underpinned by snappy social media friendly phrases and hashtags. Yes we can for Obama, Jez we can for Jeremy Corbyn, Hez we can for Hezbollah. But that was all just innocent fun, and now social media has grown into an untamable beast which talks complete nonsense. Facebook and Twitter have now become one of the main ways many people receive their news. And if something can be reduced to a snappy and succinct meme, it's very difficult to argue with something so visually appealing. I like to argue with people on the internet, and in the past they always accepted my opinion because I would talk about how I have studied politics and therefore know exactly what I'm talking about. But in a recent debate I had on social media about Trump's Muslim ban, someone posted a meme with a picture of Donald Trump and Obama saying, liberal hypocrisy. Donald Trump put a temporary hold on immigration from seven countries and he's called a Nazi. Obama deported every single other person of colour from America, including his wife and kids, and he's called a hero. I was taken aback by this and whilst I was checking whether the second thing had actually happened, I had already received a notification saying I'd lost the debate. Because of how quickly these things escalate, Social media and extreme news sites can lead to outrageous things being accepted as gospel for many people. But social media would not be able to do anything without another major social trend. Reason 3. Alternative Facts If the 60s were a decade of flower power and the 90s were a decade of cool Britannia, then our decade is surely the decade of lying repeatedly and without consequence. After years in the shadows, liars have been liberated by a new generation who have lots of different things competing for their attention and are quite frankly bored by the truth, which is often messy, complicated and full of extremely dry numbers and statistics. Meanwhile, liars are admired for their imagination and the ability to follow the vision in their head. In this environment, Donald Trump can be seen as representative of the poor, at the same time as bragging about avoiding tax and punching tramps, because in his words, that just makes him smart. Whilst in her first speech as Prime Minister, Theresa May called the Conservatives the left-wingest party ever, and the only party who have ever taken poor people seriously, whilst Labour think they're all scary racists and only give them benefits as a bribe so they never come down and spoil lovely North London. Lying has affected how people receive the truth too, with people refusing to believe anything that doesn't sound right to them because they don't have to. They are always going to be able to find the one news website which confirms their most far-fetched suspicions that if we hadn't left, the EU would have pushed through plans to eliminate our royal family and replace them with a great in Eastern European boy band who we have to obey. Places like the BBC are routinely dismissed as the politically biased mainstream media by people who post links from Breitbart, a website directly controlled by the man who also directly controls the President of America. And when every fact can be dismissed on the grounds of, well, you would say that, wouldn't you? And people gravitate away from actual truths like the banking crisis being caused by bankers and the NHS crisis being caused by cuts to the NHS, people eventually settle on their new creative truths. And these new truths are not going to be challenged by newspapers, 
even though presumably many journalists are aware that they're rubbish. And they're certainly not going to be challenged by politicians, who would find it too politically risky to make a speech saying, look, I'll carry out Brexit because you voted for it, but Jesus Christ, guys, you've really dropped the ball on this one. You're not going to get another referendum on anything after this shower. Even though that's what most of them think, because they're reliant on these people for their jobs. So nothing ever really gets challenged, and the craziest things can end up as political facts. And on that note, it's nearly the end of part one of this guide. I think I've actually fully explained everything that's happened in not long over 10 minutes there. So I'm going to take this little break and then I'll offer free tips on how to deal with the current situation. Part 2 how to make a difference. Many of the traditional methods of changing things seem a little bit ambitious at the moment. You can try and win the political argument with facts, but winning the political argument with facts will just annoy many people and cause them to become even more extreme, like someone who reacts to being beaten in a debate by a vegetarian, not by becoming one themselves, but by ordering a shipment of frozen mints out of spite. You can try protesting, and you definitely should because it's enjoyable watching people get furious with it and label a gathering of people expressing a viewpoint undemocratic. But it will take a lot of protest to get people to change their mind. And as for voting, well, that's what got us in this mess in the first place. So I thought I should try three practical suggestions of things we can do right now to change the situation, or at least prepare for it getting a lot worse. Tip 1. Limit your ambitions. There are a lot of things that require your attention in this world, and this can lead to issue overload. Right-wing people have already solved this by narrowing the issues down to themselves, the two or three members of their immediate family that they like, and the vague fervence of evil in the world. But people on the left have millions of issues to protest and campaign on, petitions to sign, and if they don't spend an equal amount of time on each and every one of them, they are rightly dismissed as hypocrites and not allowed to ever make another political point. The pressure to do this can lead people to become disillusioned, and also can lead to making mistakes which leaves them open to attack by their opponents. This happened to me during the last election campaign when I tried to read up on every single policy issue, but ran out of time and foolishly tried to debate on issues I'd had no time to read up on. In my rush to read up on the privatisation of Royal Mail and EU tariffs on the textile industry, I forgot to even find out what Trident was, and my guess that it was a small robotic dog used by the army turned out to be way off, and I was ridiculed when I suggested that instead of being scrapped, it should be donated to a blind person. Issue overload defeated me that day, and it could defeat all left-wing people, causing many of them to become so knackered that they end up going right-wing, just to give themselves a bit of a break and see what it feels like for the team they support to win. The way to stop this is by first, parking as many issues as we can afford to for now and focusing on the essentials. For instance, the abolition of the monarchy is for a different day, especially with the success of the Netflix series The Crown, and Prince Charles somehow now seeming to be the most liberal member of the establishment, and Prince Philip one of the least racist. Similarly, 
A vegan society may be a good long-term aim, but it's not a quick win. And besides, we're going to need all the energy we can get for when this fight inevitably gets physical. Once we've parked issues like these, we need to all get together and develop a timetable which splits the remaining issues between us, meaning we won't get burned out and you'll have a cast iron defence when someone accuses you of being a hypocrite for not caring about all of the issues all of the time. If someone says to you, how come you never protest about homeless ex-army people, you can say that whilst you're not bothered about them at all now, you've set aside an hour on Wednesday morning to empathise with them and sign some petitions or something. When they ask why you haven't posted about the mental health crisis on any of your social media accounts, you can say that whilst you have completely washed your hands of that whole business, you've trusted your friend Neil to fully commit to it, and have confidence that he'll sort the whole thing out. Tip 2. Procreation Many people have qualms about procreation, and are choosing not to have children. I counted myself amongst these people until this week's episode of Question Time which I mentioned earlier. This wasn't because I fell in love with the Conservative MP for Devizes, Claire Perry, but because I realised I need more people on my side of the argument. When I was live tweeting the show, my incisive political comment, Question Time is over, it's answer time, give us a coherent plan for Brexit David Dimbleby, got no retweets, but the many tweets that argued that Billy Bragg was not allowed to have left-wing opinions or be against Brexit because he has a large house, genuinely got hundreds of retweets. And Billy Bragg is now not allowed to talk about politics until he agrees to massively downsize. We have to admit to ourselves that sensible people are currently outnumbered and we need to do something about it. And we can't rely on other people's kids being on our side just because they're more young and more liberal, because other people are crazy and might force that lifestyle on their children. So we as left-wing people need to have as many children as we possibly can to agree with us and to support our argument. If we start doing this now, it'll be just over 18 years when they're able to vote and then win us political power. This is quite a lot shorter than what it feels like it'll be at the moment, but if that seems like a long time to put up with many children, keep in mind that there'll be upsides with before they're 18. You can start bringing them to protest when they're still a toddler, which will both increase the numbers and give you protection against any physical attacks. At around 6 years old you can set them up on Twitter to start liking and retweeting your stuff. And at around 11 years old they can start chiming in with their own versions of your opinion and joining in fights online with you. The more children you have, the stronger your political movement and the less you'll need to engage with them because they can just talk amongst themselves. So start procreating now, the future may depend on it. Tip 3. Learn to fight. Despite leaving the EU barely being on the political agenda five years ago, people are now furiously passionate about it going ahead, which must seem quaint to countries who don't decide their entire future based on political pissing contests between old Etonians. In the eyes of the true believers, which somehow make up the majority of people now, Brexit having to pass through Parliament, like every other political act in the country ever, was a betrayal, and the judges who made the ruling were cast as enemies of the people who'd only rose up in the legal profession to stop democracy and to stop Britain becoming a shining utopia without fishing quarters or foreigners. Even now everything is going their way, 
and Brexit is cruising through Parliament like a yacht of doom, its supporters are still furious when anyone, particularly famous people, say something that isn't that they're really excited about leaving the EU because it's going to be great. To see this in action, you only need to look at all the abuse and vitriol Gary Lineker received on Twitter after he recently and ill-advisedly posted the statement, I don't hate immigrants. Also look back at how people burned their Liliana empty freeze when she visited a refugee camp and made the radical statement that these people might need a bit of help. What makes matters worse is that instead of newspapers and politicians telling these maniacs to calm down, they're actually psyching them up further and telling them that not only do these liberal elites want to stop Brexit, I'm pretty sure I heard them tell a joke about your mum. We should continue trying to debate with people for a few years and to convince them of an alternative viewpoint without being accused of being an evil hypocrite whose ideal birthday present would be the establishment of Sharia law. But if people are this worked up already, when everything is going exactly how they wanted, you could easily imagine it kicking off big time if things don't go their way. With that in mind, I'm working on an ambitious shared Google Doc with some instructions on basic self-defence moves and links to martial arts centres in your local area. I hope that it doesn't come to this, that we can resolve all this through the usual political processes and we won't ever have to karate chop one of our own relatives over Christmas dinner. But given the way things are going, it seems to be completely inevitable. So get practising your moves, because if you can't match them for pure rage, you're going to have to beat them on technical ability and finesse. Part 3. The End At the moment, the bad people in the world are having the best time. It's like being in an awful bar, on your own, whilst a large group of loud and obnoxious rich people are being racist to the bartender, laughing for no reason and high-fiving about how easy life is. Except it's actually much worse than that, because no matter how drunk they are, it's very unlikely one of the group could press a button which would destroy civilization. But on the upside, things have probably been worse than this before, at some point, and you can use the tips in this guide to hopefully improve things. And if we make it through 15 or 20 more years, then people will probably get bored of being crazy, and we'll get new, new labour, complete with an amazing remix of Things Can Only Get Better with futuristic synths. In the meantime, you can take your mind off things by listening to the other guides on Joe Bates Explains It All which are on Resonance FM's Mixcloud. You can also visit my Soundcloud on soundcloud.com slash joe-bates-2 and I'm also on Twitter under the name RealJoeBates. I hope you've enjoyed these guides as much as I've enjoyed advising you on things and I hope to be able to tell you how to act again sometime in the near future. To end this series, we're going to play out with a track by Stereolab. Thanks a lot for joining me and I hope to speak to you again soon.